This is the Jocko Underground Podcast, number 17, with Echo Charles and me, Jocko Willink. Take two. The first take that we just did, which you all don't get to hear, Echo Charles had a coughing attack. (coughs) There it is. Seven seconds deep into the podcast, he started coughing uncontrollably. He's still kind of coughing a little bit. Mm -hmm. Well, good evening. (laughs) It was a good evening until you had a, a level nine coughing outburst. Good Are evening. we good? Good evening, Jocko. Oh, look you. how smooth that was. We're all clear. Yeah. All right. What's up, everybody? Hey, so going down the rabbit hole, mm-hmm. little rabbit hole of the psychological experiments. This one can be, there's some revealing going on. And I know you like that word, revealing. Yes. Reveal. Yeah. So... Last of the last UG, we talked about this experiment called the Ash Experiment, where they took the eight people, put them in a room. Seven of the people were actors. They would make an assessment of something, and the seven people would give the wrong answer. And then the eighth person, who was the subject of the experiment, oftentimes they would they would give a wrong answer too. They just kind of fit in conformity, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Conformity. Interesting stuff we can learn about ourselves. And we can learn about a team and a group, so it's stuff to pay attention to. Another experiment, I think, that gives us some good information about ourselves and about others. And I've talked about a version of this one, but I hadn't heard this particular version. There's a a psychologist in the late 1960s. Name is Martin Seligman. I think that's how you say it. And he he was actually looking at operant conditioning of dogs like Pavlov's dogs where you ring a bell and then you feed them and eventually they get to a point where you ring a bell and they start automatically start salivating they know what's coming right so how do you condition animals and then how well does that work with people and he was doing a different experience a experiment where he was ringing a bell and then the floor that these dogs would be on would give them a, a an electrical shock mm-hmm. I'm not going to talk about the humaneness of this experiment doesn't sound real humane to me to start shocking dogs especially because i like dogs so here we are we're shocking dogs but that's what happened we're reporting on it we're not doing it we don't support it actually no so they're shocking these dogs and ring a bell shock the dog ring a bell shock the dog and eventually the dog's behavior was as if they got shocked, even if they didn't shock them. Mm. They're so used to getting shocked, getting tense, that they would act that way even if it didn't happen. Mm. Okay, so does that experiment. And then he puts a wall, like a, like a divider in this, in this room, this dog room with electrical floors. But one side of the, of the floor, the other side of the divider, there's no shocking on the floor. Mm. So, you, the, so now he puts those dogs in there and start shocking them again. And they don't jump over the wall. They don't jump over the wall. The bell rings, they get shocked, they're like, they sit there. And they get shocked. They don't jump, and the wall's not high. This isn't even a challenge. This is just like a very low effort escape. (laughs) So what's going on? Why aren't they just trying to get out of there? So then he goes, okay, well let me try it with some fresh dogs. So then he took fresh dogs, put him in there, and as soon as he shocked him the first time, you know what they did? They all freaking jumped over that divider. Mm. And oh, okay, cool, it's safe over here. So this is not something that dogs couldn't figure out. We're, where we're standing sucks. Yeah. Maybe over there, we know it sucks here, let's go to where it doesn't suck. Yeah. So what had happened was, was that they had learned, the dogs had learned 
Well, the, the phrase that they call this is learned helplessness. You learn that there's nothing you can do about your situation. Mm. Hey, look, we're getting shocked. That's just the way the bell rings. We're going to get shocked. There's nothing we can do about it. Mm. And they lose the bigger view of the world. So that's a very interesting thing to figure out. And the way that they, they take that view, and again, these are views. They take this idea and some people apply it to the way it impacts humans, right? Mm -hmm. And one of the ways it impacts humans, one of the examples that they talked about, and again, these aren't, this isn't a fact. This is what, this is a hypothesis that some people believe. Some people believe that like clinical depression comes from a situation where people no longer feel that they can control anything that's going on around them. They don't have any more control over their fate anymore. Their, their, their perceived absence of, of control is what it ends up being. Mm-hmm. And then what do you do? You, what do you do to fix yourself? You don't do anything because you don't mm-hmm. think that anything you can do will help your scenario. Mm-hmm. And that kind of reminded me, again, this is why this, this, this story stood out to me. It reminded me of that story that I also told on the underground when I was in Iraq and there was that family living in this one room house big room but it's one room and they had a a sewer trench just raw on the floor sewage in between like their kitchen prep area and their dining room table and and and, you know i was confused by it and why would you not try and fix it and i thought maybe there's some of this in effect there Mm -hmm. think about this this is 2003-2004 for generations Iraqi, the Iraqi people had been beat down by this tyrannical leader, Saddam Hussein, where they have no control over their fate. It's like just what it was is what it was. They had no will, had no will to try and figure out how to escape the situation that they're in. Or at least, obviously, some of them. And and what this boils down to also, then it, the, the other thing that stood out to me about this experiment, it's the opposite of extreme ownership, right? It's the opposite of extreme ownership. With, with extreme ownership, you look at a situation, you go, look, this is on me. I'm gonna take control, I'm gonna fix it. If you don't think that way, if you have learned helplessness, then you think there's nothing I can do about it. Nothing I can do about it. It's, it's, you know, this isn't, this isn't nothing I can do about it. Mm-hmm. And you can get, you can, that, that, that attitude can get beat into you. And it might, look, man, life is going to put some things on you that are going to be out of your control. And sometimes you fight, you know, you're young and something happens and you fight against it, it doesn't matter, it doesn't help your outcome. And then that happens again, you don't make the football team, whatever, you try to gain weight and you can't. I'm just thinking of like things you might have faced that beat you down, right? <laughs> sure, yeah, thank you. <laughs> but it happens to everybody, right? Oh, my parents are getting divorced. I try and help, I can't, I'm just at, oh now I wanted to live with my dad, now I gotta go live with my mom, nothing I can do about it. Mm. I, I, my, my, mom's, my mom's not here very much, she's working all the time, I'm by myself, nothing I can do about it. Mm. The food that I'm getting isn't good, nothing I can do, you see where I'm going with this. Yeah, you can learn that nothing you do is gonna have an impact. 
which is obviously bad because this is this gives more meaning to the to the saying what is it get knocked down six times get up seven right that's like the saying yeah it's incorrect by the way because you can't you get can, up yeah. seven you need to get times. knocked down seven times to get up so yeah yes but yes, yes correct yes. it provides that actually is a very meaningful idea yeah because you're gonna get knocked down over yeah. and over and over again and what you have to watch out for is that you don't learn that you're helpless. Mm-hmm. That's what you have to watch out for. As another, as I read a little bit more about this ne- later on, with neuroscience, they found out that helplessness is actually the default mode. <laughs> so what you're born with is a default mode that I can't do anything. And then we learn that we can control things that are going on, but then depending on your life circumstances, you may relearn to be helpless Mm. as opposed to some people that are like oh you know what they you know think of those little positive reinforcements when you take control and a positive outcome comes that's awesome that's awesome i feel pretty lucky in the fact that i felt when i would do something and take action if i got beat i would kind of shrug it off and if i won i'd be like yeah Mm -hmm. (laughs) Right? I mean, the the most absurd example of that (laughs) is me saying that if I'm on an airliner and it gets blown up in in the sky, that I am going to, you know, figure out a way to assemble some kind of a parachute scenario (laughs) on my way down or I'm going to get into a, you know, I'm going to do something. I'm going to find a pool to get into that's going to have a cover on it. I'm going to do something and we're going to be good. That's absurd. Yep. That I think I have that much control over my outcome. Yeah, in a plane. In a plane that's crashing, right? Yeah. It's kind of absurd. I think so. But it's an example, right? I so so it's just things that we need to watch out for. To make sure it's something to think about for for two reasons. And this is the same thing I said about the Ash experiment. There's two reasons to pay attention to this. And look, you know what? There's there's all these when they do these experiments, there's all these counter experiments there's people that that debunk the experiment and they they do a bunch of things regardless there's a lesson to be learned and it's a lesson to be learned on two fronts in my opinion the two fronts are me and everybody else right Mm -hmm. i want to make sure that i don't ever learn helplessness Mm -hmm. i want to i'm going to pay attention to make sure i don't learn helplessness I want to make sure that I don't ever teach helplessness. Have you been around people that that have a helpless attitude? Like they, like they don't think that anything that they do is going to matter? Yeah. I have been around those kind of people. Yeah, do you don't you feel that so when you're um obviously you didn't make do the experiment, but when you think about the people that you know, don't you feel that it's kind of a spectrum where some people, they're just really like that. And then some people, they're like that sometimes or yep. under certain circumstances, but other times, you know, they're, they're not or whatever. Um, but and, yeah. and, I, and I think there's a good balance to have. I yeah. mean, obviously, you need to, if you think you can control everything and you can't, you, then you turn into some kind of a psychopath. Yeah. If you think you can't control anything and you don't try, then you're turning into whatever that is, but it's not good. Yeah. So I think the extremes on both of these are something to watch out for. Yeah. But... I think the worst one would be I'm I there's nothing I can do that's going to matter. Mm. Nothing I can do will impact what's going to happen 
in my life. That's a that's a horrible thing. So I want to make sure I never learn that myself. I want to make sure I never teach that. And I, and and then so that's externally. I, I also want to be able to pay attention to other people. Where if I see this, I go, oh, I know what's going on. My friend doesn't think that they can have any impact. Cool. What can I do to show them? What can I do to show them? Get them a win, and then reinforce the win. Right. What can I do to get them a win and reinforce the win? There's another there's another experiment where they take rats and like put them into a tube mm. and Basically if a rat wins once he's way more apt to win again mm. Against another rat and the rat that loses is much more apt to lose again. Mm. So there's another little Psychological thing and and in the book What's that book outliers Mm. Outliers. The kids that are older on the hockey team, on the soccer team, on the football team, the kids that are older, because the you know how they do the age cutoff is you know if you're born in whenever. So if yeah. you're born in January yeah. and you're the oldest kid, you yeah. got what you got a eleven months and twenty nine days on every other punk on the field, oh, yeah. right? You yeah. go out there and dominate, and now you're kind of have a winning attitude, and yeah. now you like to practice. And yeah. since you like to practice, you get to play. Everyone kind of passes you the ball more because you score a lot. So now you're kind of a star. So now you practice even more. And it's a self-fulfilling prophecy. Yeah. Whereas if you're the runt, if you were born in December, and you, yes. you know, yes, sir. <laughs> the other dudes got 11 months and 30 days on you, and now you don't get passed the ball very much. You get beat down yeah. in the games. The, the, oh, by the way, the coach doesn't play you as much, yeah. by the way, which means your PT's down, right? Yep. Whereas the, the the older cat, he's getting all kinds of playing. The coach is putting him in there, slapping him on the back, get out there and score another one for us. Echo Charlie. <laughs> Freaking MVP over here. Yeah. MVP. Oh, yeah. MVP. Meanwhile, Jock was over here on the sidelines. I didn't even get any plays. I didn't get on the field. Yep. How, hard, how hard am I practicing? Not very. Yeah, and if you are, like, you ain't like, you're not liking it. No. Not like me. I'm no. loving it. So yeah. reinforcement. I never thought about that as far as like kids or whatever. Like, oh, yeah. This uh, is a totally different philosophy. Yeah. We, it's, and it's ironic you say that because me and my brother, were we are late born. So we were always the youngest one. Mm -hmm. Even when we graduated high school and went into college, we were still minors in college for a while. They should have like, held you back. Should have held you back. Should have. There are people younger than us or, or born before us. Like in November, and said so that was like, oh yeah, in our grade. Yeah. But I'm like, wait a second, you know, you're like you're 18, like whatever. But um, but uh, you know, we're fine, whatever. Dude's 26 in his sophomore year. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But I remember, um, I mean, thankfully we didn't go through any of that or whatever, mm -hmm. being the runt or nothing like that. But I remember thinking after I graduated, we went back home to watch, you know, whatever <clears throat> high school uh, practice and stuff, and. I remember thinking, if I played with these high schoolers right now, this is one year out, one by the year way. Out. If I played with these high schoolers, I'd be, be smashing these guys. Yeah. But that's a big amount of time between 17 and 18 and 18 to 19, one year. Yeah. Not to mention when you first get into the sport. Like, and, you know, and not to mention, if it's, it's 17 to 18, 18 to 19 is a big difference. If you're just gr growing as a human, yeah, if you're normal. actually working out and training, it's a ridiculous Passive. ridiculous yeah. amount of time. Yeah, that's true. And and to to kind of have that as a philosophy, that I totally miss that. And I'm sure there's parents, especially if they have a sports background and oh, tradition in their family, or whatever. They're on that. Well, here's the here's the opposite thing is 
you know what? You know, uh, here's my kid. I want my kid to be tough. I'm gonna p- put him in the tough bracket. Yeah. Put him in the higher weight class. Put him in with the older kids. And guess what happens? They get murked. Yeah. Didn't you do something like that? I did that a bunch, bro. <laughs> I did that a bunch. Yeah. I did that a bunch. <laughs> and it wasn't fun. Yeah. It wasn't fun. And that's the worst part of this whole thing is it makes it not fun. Yeah. Because all of a sudden, oh, you're going to a jiu-jitsu tournament. Cool. How was it? Oh, I got submitted in 28 seconds yeah. by someone that was bigger and older than me. Yeah. The whole time. And, <clears throat> and of course, I'm like, win or lose, doesn't matter. It's going to make you tougher, better. Yeah. Like, I'm an idiot. Yeah, the whole experience is gonna be, even if like he doesn't if let's say I go in, I'm you know, I'm the runt or whatever, I go in jujitsu, football, whatever. Mm-hmm. Let's say I don't get submitted in twenty six. Let's say I go the whole round. You know how freaking hard that round is gonna be? You yep. know how un, not fun that's yeah. gonna be? The whole time then I lose, chances are, you know, and then I put in all this work and then I lose and it's just impossible. You know, I feel it, everything stacked against you and then yep. this is what I wanna do. I'm a kid. No, I don't wanna do this kind of stuff. You know what it's like too, when we train <clears throat> when we train working dogs. Sure. Attack dogs and whatnot. Mm-hmm. When when you're training them, they never lose. <laughs> they never. They think. They think. They think. No matter what happens, they're gonna win. Yeah. And they're gonna get a treat. That's what they think. So when that when that Belgian Malinois or the German Shepherd that comes at you, you're mm-hmm. a criminal. That thing, you've got a knife, bat, gun. It doesn't care. It it knows it's gonna beat your ass. <laughs> it's gonna chew your arm off, and it's gonna get a treat. Yeah. And the harder it goes. And that's why they don't stop. That's why they go. They're not scared of anything because they've never lost before. They don't even understand what that means. Yep. That's kind of like crazy, right? You train a, a being that it just doesn't even understand defeat. I know, man. That is. Even like when you think, and dogs, you know, obviously humans, it gets a little bit more complex if you give them too many wins. You know, they think like, oh, I'm invincible yeah, on yeah, the train yeah. or whatever. You know, you like you can't. Yeah. Yep. But it seems like, and I'm not a dog trainer, obviously, but it seems like. The dog, even if he did lose, he'd, he's just fighting and fighting and fighting. He loses. He's just, oh, I won. Who's the next guy? You know, kind of thing. Sure, I'm beat up, but I'm a dog. I get mm. beat up. Whatever. That's kind what of we a do. Thing. Yeah. <laughs> it seems like they think like that, you know? Check. Um, so there you go. I, I think it's something important to pay attention to. And here's the, I think my biggest takeaway is things are going wrong. A lot of things are going wrong. You're feeling an electric shock on your feet metaphorically from 14 different directions, relationships, job, finances. Don't forget to jump over that fence. Get up and make some changes, make something happen. That's what you need to do. That's my takeaway. Let's get to some Q&A. What do we got? First question. Okay, how do I get over an irrational fear of home invasion? I'm 6'4", 250 pounds. I train jujitsu, have guns, and train with them, and have secured the house extensively. Door reinforcement, security system, dog, etc. I live in a dangerous city, but not in a particular da- particularly dangerous neighborhood. It's very unlikely anyone will break in, especially while I'm here. Ever since I moved from an apartment to a large one-level house with lots of windows, I've been carrying, carrying in the house and have trouble sleeping. I think this is essentially a generic phobia rooted in childhood fears, traumatized by Elizabeth Smart and too much CSI. <laughs> okay, I'm laughing at the CSI part, not the not the Elizabeth Smart. Part. Yes, exactly. You know, he's watching a lot of TV and mm-hmm. you know, getting it, whatever. Um, but I'm struggling to deal with it. With deal, I'm struggling to deal and don't want to live in fear. Certainly, no one is carrying my ass out a window anymore. But I feel a responsibility to protect my home. Is my hope is 
it will fade with time and familiarity because preparation hasn't worked. You know what? As I read through that, you know, I had, I had, uh, what is it? Like little answers in my head, like, oh, you could do this. And I thought it was going to be like a prep type question. Yeah. You know, hey, here's, you know, here's a couple other things you could do. And then I realized, no, this, this dude's totally prepped. Yeah. He's prepped. He's good to go. And then I realized, oh, he mentions in here, what is it, a generic phobia? Mm-hmm. I think it's an actual phobia. Mm-hmm. So I think, quite frankly, it's time for a little mind mechanic to get in there and talk to you and do some exposure therapy, right? Some exposure therapy so that you realize, hey, this stuff is not gonna happen. Mm. And how do you do that? Do you do that by sleeping out on a park bench one night? No, that's not how you do it. What you Mm. do is you start to expose yourself a little bit over time and realize a little bit at a time with what you're comfortable with. And this is, look, I would would go talk to a, a psychologist. Yeah. Because this is a legit phobia, dude. If you're 6'4", 250, you train jiu-jitsu, you have guns, you train with guns, you have door reinforcement, door security, a security system, and a dog. Like, you have all those things. Mm-hmm. You're the most secure dude. You're one of the most secure people ever. Mm-hmm. <laughs> ever. Mm-hmm. Right? I mean, I'm only 5'11". Right, I'm only 230. I do train BJJ. <laughs> I do have guns, but you see what I'm saying? Like dog, this yeah. dude's got a, a leg up. Right. When you have a dog and a security system, yeah. And you have door reinforcements, and you have weapons. Like the, you're in a secure situation. So mm-hmm. I think there is a little bit of a little bit of an, an actual psychological issue that's mm-hmm. that's in your head, and the way that you get that worked out is by. Well, you, you either try and figure it out yourself and start to realize, okay, I'm being paranoid about stuff and I don't need to be, and I need to back off of it. I'm getting a little crazy. It might be very hard to do that yourself. It might be hard to detach and do that yourself. That's why you gotta go and see a professional that goes, okay, here's what you need to do. And I'm not, I'm not a freaking psychologist. I read about it in books. I don't, know, I don't actually know anything. But mm-hmm. psycho- I, I guarantee a psychologist will have dealt with this type of problem 100 times and be like, yep, here's what we need to do. No problem, this is normal, here's how we treat it. Hmm. I don't know how to treat it. To me, it sounds like you're good to go, just a little bit on the paranoid sound. But yeah. here's, here's the other thing that makes me nervous about it. At what point do you decide, if I even leave my house, um, there's a threat? Hmm. If I even step outside, if I don't black my windows, I need to get all my lights so no one can tell when I'm going. You see what I'm saying? It could, this could escalate to a place where you don't want it to escalate to. That's what I'm afraid of. That's why I think you need the old school mind mechanic. If you don't know what I'm talking about when I'm talking about mind mechanic, I didn't understand what a psychologist was Mm -hmm. until Jordan Peterson came on our podcast for the first time. Mm -hmm. And I realized, oh, these are, this is like when a car has a problem, there's people that know how to fix that problem. That's what a psychologist is. Mm -hmm. They're a mechanic for your brain. They go in there, they know how to fix it. I think that's what you need, bro. You know, we laughed at the CSI part of it. Like, mm-hmm. oh, because I watched, you know, CSI and these, you know, uh, news reports about, you know. Um, but that's kind of, that's kind of a real thing. And, and, you know, you know the show Forensic Files? You ever watch that? No. Okay, so it's like, no, no. It's is it real? Like, it's or real. Is it, okay. It's real. So that makes it a little bit more able to believe. I, yeah. mean, it's, I mean, never mind a little bit. You can actually believe it. Yeah, it's yeah. And I've never watched CSI, but it's probably like maybe it's based on True Story. Maybe it's like believable either way forensic files it's mm-hmm. <clears throat> they just they talk about a crime usually a murder and 
they focus on the forensic evidence that they got mm-hmm. <clears throat> and analyzed to solve the crime. Just the forensic yep. process. That's right? kind of what CSI is, I guess. Mm, yeah, similar. So, but meanwhile, you hear the story of the crime. So, And then, so a lot of the time, oh, the murderer got in through an open or unlocked first, sto- first story window. That's, a, that's pretty common, that right there. So, yeah, man, now... All the first story, like if you watch that enough, you're like, mm-hmm. bro, I'm not leaving my windows open ever. Yeah. You know, oh, shoot. Especially if you have like a kind of a bigger house, one story, like mm-hmm. how he's, you know, <laughs> explained. You're like, oh, my gosh, did I lock them all? And then and there's this weird like phenomenon. Like, I don't know if you do this at night. You go around and make sure all the, you know, set, the general set security. Yeah. You know, make sure the doors are locked, make sure everything, everything's on. Um, but if you have a few, like a lot of doors to check in mm-hmm. windows. Like you forget, did I check down? Did I check down? Then you're double checking, triple checking. Yeah. Then you're like, frick, am I paranoid? Like what's wrong with me? Well, you know? also you got the little kids. Yeah. And that makes a big difference. Oh yeah. Like oh, yeah. I Huge was, difference. yeah, like I wouldn't have that thought right now because my kids, like if you try to get my kids, it's going to be a problem for you. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah. Um, but when they're little, like. Hey, yeah. someone could be in and out of there if you leave their bedroom window open. Oh, yeah. And that's what you hear, too. That's what they're yeah. getting a lot of the time, yeah. like kids. So I, I dig it. I'm saying watching TV yes. about stuff, whether it be the yep. news, whether it be CSI, whether it be whatever, like, bro, that's a real thing. It's yep. a real influence as far as, like, what you think, you, you know? You best watch out. Got to watch you out. Start getting that in your head. Yeah. But we don't want to go overboard. No. Now we're freaking out our kids. Yes. Well, yeah, exactly. All right, next question. Hey, guys, I'm looking to get into BJJ, a.k.a. Brazilian Mm Jiu-Jitsu. I was wondering what you guys thought about whether or not BJJ schools should offer slash require a foundations course for new students. Or is it best to just start getting on the mats and learn as you roll and train? I have zero fighting background, so I'm genuinely curious. Going to be getting after it either way. Well, that's good because I think you're good either way, actually. Is it nice? Is it a luxury? To have a little, you know, a little indoctrination foundations course, that's great, mm-hmm. you know. But if if they said to me, all right, you can either take one person who's going to go through a six-week foundation course, you take out another person that's just going to jump in and start taking the classes with everybody else, mm-hmm. and you take someone that's going to do both, obviously do both, right? Mm-hmm. You take the foundations course plus you start rolling. Yeah. That's that's probably the ideal answer. Yeah. But if you go to a school and they're like, oh, we don't have a foundations course, and you go, well, then I'm not doing jujitsu. Wrong answer. Yes, correct. If you go there and they say you have to take the foundations course before you can go into the classes, that's a little bit more understandable. Mm-hmm. Depending on if they're trying to, you know, sell you some freaking course and all this stuff. Right. Because yeah, that's just not going to turn out good. Well, it's not going to turn out good. It's just that, that's a little bit slightly suspect. I can get yeah. it too because also you don't want knuckleheads that don't know anything and they're like, what do you mean guard? Right. right? You don't want that person in class. Yeah. So I would say ideally you get like a little foundational understanding and then you start you start training. And I'll say this. You could legitimately get that information from YouTube about like what is Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu. Yeah. You and I should do the little course that we do at the muster, oh, the little yeah. 15, 20 minute course. We should do it on YouTube so people could see and understand Jiu-Jitsu kind of for the first time. Yeah. That'd be smart. I think I agree. And I agree with your assessment with this where, yeah, good good either way at the end of the day. But yeah, it's like the foundational courses. Uh, well, then again, the foundational course, depending, and you kind of mentioned it where, because some foundational courses, I'm not going to name any names, 
actually I can't think of any particular, but I remember that there is this where it's like, here's the foundational course and these are requirements. You're not allowed to roll with those guys. Mm -hmm. The whole reason you're here, by the way, you can't do that until you complete this course. But by the way, this course entails you buying this gi, this patch, this, uh, this other stuff, this soap or whatever, you know, all this stuff. Yeah. Yeah, It comes with like a requirement to pay for all this other stuff on top of your membership. Then it's like, okay, that's kind of whack. Yep. The thing that's good about it is it's sort of like immersion language training, right? If you just start training, you're going to learn. Yeah. I mean, eventually you get dropped into Mexico yeah. with no English speakers. Eventually you're going to learn Spanish. Like that's what's going to happen. Some Espanol. Some Espanol. Yep. Wouldn't true. it be nice if when you showed up there, you had some basic vocab words? It's going to make you yeah. go a little bit quicker. Oh, yeah, so there is a benefit to it. Yeah. But it's actually easier. I think the... The basic structure of jujitsu you can learn in like two hours. I think so too, yeah. I think if you get two hours worth of, maybe you get a private lesson. Maybe that's a good compromise. You say, hey, listen, instructor, can I get you for a private lesson to show me what the hell this stuff's all about? Yeah. The thing that sucks about that is you're paying a lot of money for some really basic information they could get off of YouTube. Yeah, there is that, yeah. I'd rather save that private lesson for when I need some help, you know, with my arm lock finishes or my across side escapes. Yep, I agree with that. Uh, yeah, so at the end of the day, the answer is prefer the foundationals co- course, mm-hmm. and that's just going to depend on how robust it is. You know, like a, a bad, to me, the, the best foundation course would be one that you go through all the foundations and, and you still get to go roll, roll which yeah, is yeah. essentially what you said yep. about both. You yeah, know? do both. Yeah, so that's, that's the best or whatever. And then, of course, there are exceptions where the foundational course is just a money grab kind of a thing, yeah, you know, which that. That, that doesn't count. Yeah. You know, if that's going on, then obviously no. But, um, yeah, when I first started jujitsu, I had the foundational course from the Gracie tapes and mm-hmm. all this stuff, so I knew all that stuff. So it was kind of both. So when yep. I first started, oh, we can just roll, you know. I and like then, it. Yeah. But you had the foundations. Yes, sir, I did. Check. All right, next question. I'm a captain in the fire department. I, I'm in charge of 22 stations. In December 2020, our governor I- issued a mask policy that specified firefighters must wear masks at the fire station unless eating, drinking, or sleeping. I'm expending a tremendous amount of le- leadership capital enforcing this rule. I had a great reputation in the department thus far and, sp- and spent 10 years as an Air Force PJ. PJ? Yep. <clears throat> I wear I wear my mind my mask always so so I set the example but less than 10% of the department wears a mask even in public a citizen complained that one of the trucks at my station wasn't wearing a mask on call I wrote the two those two guys up because I told them repeatedly to wear a mask especially in public each shift I nagged them but put a to put a mask on they don't want to wear them and most other captains don't enforce the rule the higher chiefs obviously don't care I don't want to be liable if an outbreak occurred at the station. I'm conflicted because it's unfair to be the only captain enforcing this rule, but I see that Costco or McDonald's have no problem with compliance. My chain of command is not on board. The policy was written by the governor, so the department had to adopt it. I painted myself in a corner like you advise against. Yes, we don't like painting ourselves. I want, no, he doesn't really clarify what corner he painted himself into, but it's probably it. yeah, it's probably a perception of painting because he's like the only one enforcing it, you know. Mm. So it's like, oh, you know, maybe feels like that a little bit. But anyway, continuing on, uh, should I just write these guys up multiple times, like Costco or McDonald's would probably do? The lack of compliance is obvious in the department. I can't have that much, or I can't have that on my watch. But even on 
even the other shifts at the same station don't wear masks. Any advice? <laughs> yeah, uh, this is a good one. Um, and and hopefully uh, it's over soon because people are getting vaccinated or they already had COVID or whatever. So, um, and plus you're seeing like these big events that are happening and there's really like not this massive spike that uh, was anticipated. Mm-hmm. So from any perspective, like even if let's, if there's, there's a lot of debates to be had about masks, I guess we could have them. Mm-hmm. Um, but so here you are, you got these guys, they're not really, no one's really doing what you're supposed to be doing. Mm-hmm. What are you going to do? And you're already calling it, man. This guy kind of already sees it. He's expending all this leadership capital. Mm. To what end? To what end? You literally are saying no one else at the department is wearing masks. Mm. So are they getting sick? Are they having a bunch of problems? My guess is no, because they're not wearing masks and continuing to do their job as firefighters, which means they're out interacting with people on a pretty regular basis, Mm. all over random people. And... So, how much leadership capital are you going to expend on this? I wouldn't very expend very much. Am I or being ordered to do something that doesn't make sense? Right? Mm-hmm. Is my boss telling me to or, to get all my people to do something that I really can't back up? Mm-hmm. And then what do you then? How do you handle it? So, a situation like this, and, and, and look, there's some people that are probably like, "Do you just order them? Write them up? Mm-hmm. Write them up? Okay." Cool. What? How much compliance do you get? How much support do you get? How, what kind of relationships do you build with your team? How does this look for you in a year when you're trying to get somebody to do something hard for real and you expended all your leadership capital trying to get them to wear a mask when no one else was doing it and not suffering any major problems? And like, don't want to be liable if an outbreak occurred at the station. Right. It, apparently, everyone at the station is not wearing masks. So the liability problem probably not that big of a deal. Um, here's what I think I would do if I was in your situation. I would probably be like, "Hey guys, here's what's going on. The governor, who's in charge of everything here in our state, put out a mandate that says we got to wear masks. Look." We all see each other all day. We're all in contact every day. He wants us to wear masks inside the facility. I get it. We're not going to be, we, 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 don't, we don't need to go overboard. Also this, we don't want to draw any undue attention. When we roll out, when we're interacting, let's throw masks on, minimize the visibility, minimize the amount of people that might freak out. And by the way, while this is happening, here's, let me tell you what I'm doing. I wrote this point paper. I'm explaining up the chain of command. I'm, I'm you know, pushing back explaining the downsides of wearing masks and trying to get this, trying to get us some leeway here. So we have some leeway. You hear me? You got the leeway. Try and be, when we're out in town, you you know, you walk up to somebody, throw a mask on, try and keep me out of trouble. I'd appreciate it. We're just trying to do the right thing. Mm. Something along those lines. That's a good addition there at the end. We're, we're just trying to do the right thing. It's just good. trying to do the right thing. Just trying to stay under the radar and there's all kind like hey man um task unit bruiser i don't really care what uniform you wear when we're b- uh, uh, just amongst task unit bruiser i don't care yeah i'm not like hey you better have the correct uniform on i actually don't care yeah 
But when you go out and interact with other people, yeah, you're going to be squared away. Yeah. That's that's what we're going to do. Uh, there's there's a bunch of examples like that. So you do have to be judicious in how you expend your leadership capital. There's no doubt about it. There's no doubt about it. You do have to be judicious in how you expend your leadership capital. And if you've got 90%, is that the number? Yeah, less than less than 10% of the department wears masks. Yeah. And you're going to expend your leadership capital going against the 90 plus percent populace that's doing something. And by the way, it's not apparently, it's not like they're all popping positive for COVID and laid up for two weeks mm. because that's what everyone is doing. Mm. Yeah. You it, don't it, even know what to say, do you? Well, I, I have thought, I don't, as far as advice goes, I mm. mean, shoot, you said it better than I ever could. <laughs> um, I mean, it did kind of remind me of your, what do you call, conformity to influence or conform conformity to influence. influence yeah. yep. Like kind of that because of the you know 90% of everybody's yep. like yep. doing it this way and you don't want to be the guy standing out on this one issue all aggressively. It's not even that you don't want to be. You're getting into a fight that you're not going to win. Yeah, that's why. You're getting into a fight that you're not going to win. Are they going to, if you bark orders at them to wear a mask, they roll out in town and you're not with them, what are they going to do? No, They're not going to wear a mask. Yeah. If you explain why it's important, hey, listen, when we're in the public eye, this stuff, we, we run into one of these people that's out there wants to freak out and sue the fire department because someone breathed on them. It's just going to bring, it's just going to make us all look bad. It's going to be a pain. Yeah. We don't want to get ourselves in that situation. When you roll out in town, you get, you get start contact with some civilians, throw the mask on. Let's just try, let's just try and do the right thing. Uh, yeah. Cause okay. So what also, what I was gonna say is like the mask thing, like it has become like many things, like a, almost like a political or oh, it's a completely political polarizing. issue. Completely yeah. Polarizing. So like now if it's like, Oh, you don't believe, you don't believe in wearing masks. You're a bad person. You don't care if we all die or whatever. And then on or, the other side, yeah. it's like you, what do you like? You don't like freedom. Um, you're a slave. You're a slave. You're a pussy. You're a this, and you're scared. You're, you're giving into the fear thing and all the like, uh, uh, intense feelings on both Completely sides. Completely politicized. Yeah. Yeah. So now and not, so now you have that little element in the station. Mm -hmm. So not only are you kind of going against the grain in that way, expanding your leadership capital in that way, but it's even more because of this type of issue. Yeah. So it kind of points in that direction. So now the way you just suggested to go say, hey, look. We're doing it for this other reason. Yeah, it's, it's not like it's you're preaching. Depoliticizing it. Yeah, totally is. And now you're putting it, it. it's like putting him back on the well, putting everyone back on the same team. So it's like, hey, if you if he's like, hey guys, look, um, look, I'm on your team, but you you want to wear the mask because you want to protect yourself and everyone. And and going into the political opinion, mm -hmm. then it's like they're gonna be like, we don't agree with that. We don't believe that. But if you yeah. don't say any of that stuff, yeah. to be like, hey, look, people, we're you know, the fire department. We need to maintain our image. We need to maintain our functionality, all this stuff. So we want to put forward that image that we are complying and all this stuff in public and whatever. Yep. So make it more about that, you know? Yep. Yeah, I got asked this like early on, but but not so early that where people are like, okay, it looks like we're wearing masks, but at the point where people were starting to be like, this is bullshit. Mm. And somebody like at a company said, "Hey, you know, we're getting at, we're getting told to wear our mask. How do you?" And it was a type written in a chat room on a Zoom call. Right. How do you feel about the the uh, destruction of our constitutional rights forcing us to wear a mask? <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah. And so then the moderators like all nervous, asking me the question. He's like, "Well, we got a question here. It's you know at ten eleven that says." Um, what do you think about our constitutional rights being? And so now I've, I'm talking to a company that's got people on both sides, right? Some people are like pro-mask, some people are anti-maskers, oh, yeah. and this anti-masker chimes in. And so I, that, that's what I did. I said, I said, hey, listen, there's a bunch of rules. Actually, I told a story. I told a story about being in the Navy. 
being in the Navy, I was on a ship as a SEAL, and we would wait in line for chow. And when you're waiting in line for chow in the Navy, you weren't allowed to lean against the wall mm. for whatever reason. The bulkhead? The bulkhead, yeah, so you've heard this story before. <laughs> so you're not allowed to lean on the wall. You're not allowed to lean on what's called the bulkhead of a ship. And whoever was in charge of the line, because there'd be a, a, a petty officer that's actually in charge of the line. Mm. And if he saw you leaning on the bulkhead, it's like, hey, get off the bulkhead, right? So mm. it doesn't matter what rank he is or what rank you are, he's just gonna tell, it doesn't matter you're a mm. SEAL, you're whatever, it doesn't matter. Mm. He's got some authority and he's gonna flex it. Hell yeah. And what I realized is, hey man, like whatever. Okay, cool, I'll get off the wall. I don't have time to like, I'm not gonna argue about this. It literally is a meaningless thing. Oh, you want, Oh, I gotta walk through the store, they want me to put a mask on, cool, whatever. I'm, I'm over it. Yeah. I'm not wasting my brain cells thinking about this. This is not something that I am going to spend any time <laughs> thinking like, what, you can't tell me that. It's like, oh, right. you know what? By the time I got done with that, I already bought my soda and I left. I don't care. <laughs> I don't care. Yeah. yeah. I don't let a lot of things freak me out. Yeah. I'm not getting freaked out about stuff. Yeah. yeah, and every once in a while, it'll kind of dawn upon me that like wearing the mask for however many minutes <laughs> actually doesn't get in the way of anything I'm trying to do that day or in life. Y yeah. Do I like it? No. Yeah, yeah. But <laughs> but what you know what I like even less? Dealing with someone that's talking to me about wearing a mask. I literally don't want to talk to <laughs> when you. When you don't have to. I would rather just put it on so you don't talk to me. <laughs> <laughs> just don't, just leave me alone. Get You You win. Yeah. I'm wearing a mask so that you don't freaking talk to me. Yeah. How you Dang like that? Yeah. Cool. Yeah. Let's move on. I got stuff I got to do yep. and talk to you or hear you or see you with your iPhone going, what are you doing? You know, whatever. <laughs> I'm not playing that game. <laughs> It's good, yeah. So yeah, so you're wearing, you're and you and you're stopping the spread. So boom, you know, win-win for Allegedly. everybody. Allegedly, hey, amen. You know, I don't know, in their minds. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. Yeah. Oh yeah, there you go. So I'm like a good, a good guy, win, virtual, win, a win. virtuous person, My saving man. the world. <laughs> yeah, man. A lot of freaking out. Um, the only thing that worries me about that, it actually doesn't worry me. The people can throw the slippery slope. Like right now, they're making you wear a mask. Next week, they're gonna get a uh, uh, what is it? A chip inserted yeah, in your yeah, brain, yeah, right? Yeah, yeah, there's a slippery slope, yeah. but no, there's actually a line on the slippery slope. Yeah, and you're not putting a chip in my brain. Yeah. So right? the and the slippery slope is a real thing, but there's also something called the slippery slope fallacy. Mm -hmm. So and it's that it's kind of like people think that just because it happens to be a slippery slope, no matter how slippery or not slippery, no matter how steep, no matter how not steep. It's inevitable yeah, that the yeah. end is here, and it's whatever, and then they that they can conceive of. That's the fa that's the fallacy. The truth is, even a slippery, slippery, slippery slope, uh, you said, has a line mm -hmm. where it's like, yeah, where does it stop? It stops wherever it stops, wherever yeah, you yeah. want to stop it. Yeah. You know. So if hey, if wearing a mask is a huge, huge deal for you, that's where you're stopping it, yep. and I dig it, man. Yep. But what you're saying apparently is you don't have to like you know it's not that big a deal you know when you it, consider I'm not, I'm not sweating that one very much yeah yeah you're not sweating it I'm not saying I don't get annoyed because I can <laughs> get annoyed like I get annoyed that it's like oh you're gonna do this that does annoy me yes sir but it doesn't annoy me enough what annoys me even more like I said is me having to discuss it with somebody yeah have someone talk to me. 
Have you ever uh, lifted weights in a, like a 24-hour fitness oh, yeah. like gym yes. with other people? I mean, yeah. you're always at 4.30, so nobody's in there. But, Usually, yeah. But you've experienced yep. the normal crowd. So you know how like when you disc, because some gyms, uh, like when you deadlift, mm-hmm. and not, oh, you're yeah, not yeah. necessarily yelling, but you know, when you deadlift, especially if you're kind of going Maybe hard, it's like going some odds for sure, but it's more the banging of the weights. Yeah, yeah, like you yeah, can't yeah, just yeah. gently put down yeah, yeah. four wheels on a deadlift. Well, you can, but it's yeah. like, that's not realistic. We're not, we're, we might not do that for every rep. No. Especially the last rep. <laughs> exactly, right? So people, the thing is when people, when you bang weights, that doesn't hurt nobody. And, and whatever, but people will come and talk to you oh, about yeah, it. They'll you be annoyed, saying? bro. Bro, if you're by yourself, smash weights. And by the way, them, and whatever. by the way, it doesn't hurt anybody to drop weights. Literally, nope, no one's getting hurt. That's what I'm saying. Yeah. There's not even a possibility of someone getting hurt. Yeah, I mean, unless they're under them. But why are they under not, them? They're not. They're not that's exactly. The so no one's getting hurt. Yeah. There's no. There's no negative to dropping weights. Yeah. If it's dumbbells, maybe heavy dumbbells, and you're messing up the dumbbells. You know what I'm saying? If you drop a, yeah. a set of one tens from bench. You can bend those dumbbells. Yeah. I've done that before. Well, where Dumbbells I, is different. Yeah. Like but, straight up across the board, different. You bend the dumbbells, you you can damage the floor because yep. usually it's not super padded like a deadlift situation. And those dumbbells can roll on other people's feet. Yeah. Like, so right, so yeah. that's, that's a no-go. Drop those. Yeah. Yes, sir. But as far as your deadlifting on the deadlift platform or in front of the squat rack where this is what we're doing, yeah. leave, you know, leave that person alone. Yep. It's not going to hurt you. Yeah. It's a loud bang. It's okay. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But my point was actually technically in a way the opposite where it's like, okay, let's say you're just doing regular deadlifts. It's not that big of a deal. But let's face it, when you deadlift, like you don't set it down gently. That's mm-hmm. not traditionally we'll say. Like that's not how. But when you're in a public gym, it's kind of like at least be mindful of those things because you don't want to deal with the lady coming up to you saying, oh, oh yeah, yeah, lunk yeah. or yeah. whatever. Yeah. Alarm. Right. You know, you're like, you're all right. right, let's all do it for this yeah. time. Yep. Good point. You, know, you, you just... That's the exact comparison. Yeah. You could drop those weights and then you're going to have to talk to somebody. Yep. And, or you could just like put them down and everyone leaves you alone for the most part, except for that you brought yeah. your own chalk and you're messing up the gym and there's sweat <laughs> everywhere and you're making yeah. noise and all that stuff. Yes, sir. That's why and we do it. It is annoying. That is annoying. What? People talking to you? When you can't freaking drop your deadlift yeah. weights. Yeah. Get your bumper plates. Get a home gym. Yeah. Get a garage gym. Do whatever the hell you want. That's freedom. You want to talk about freedom? <laughs> That's your freedom, freedom right, right there. there. Do whatever you want for as long as you want. Mm. I know you got a squat rack just so you can do curls in the squat rack. <laughs> <laughs> yes, sir. I did. All right. Well, Good luck go. with that one, man. Um, yes, you know, I, I, I really like that question because it's such a good it's a good dilemma. There's no like, yeah. hey, here's the answer. Right. You've got to meet through that stuff. Yeah. You've got to assess it. You've got to figure out how much capital you're going to spend. Um, and say, hey, same thing with the patches, right? Yeah. Same thing with yeah. the patches. I wasn't like, I'm writing you up, Leif and Seth. I'm writing you guys up. I told you not to wear patches. I was like, you know what? Mm. These guys are freaking wearing patches. I'm not mm. going to waste any leadership capital on it. We're carrying on. No yeah. one's going to die. Yeah, that's like a solid little like simple example. Of the this one, obviously, like we said, very there's complexity. complexity. Then it. you got the governor, the one saying it. Yep. So it's like, if that's a factor for us, you know, the yep. public, it's like, man. Yep. So you find, look. Leadership isn't black and white. Yeah. Leadership and leaders have a hard time. Leaders that have a mind that is um, tends towards black and white yeah. are going to have a harder time than leaders that go, oh, you know what? There's some grayers. There's always grayers. I mean, I got asked that the other day. I was getting interviewed and it was like, well, isn't there some gray areas? I was like, the entire freaking area is gray. <laughs> I just gave you the two, the two ends of the different yeah. spectrums. Yeah. The two ends of the spectrum I just gave you. The entire area is gray. Yeah. 
So as a leader, if you see things as black and white, you're gonna have a problem. And maybe this guy who is in the Air Force, you know, and he's kind of a rule foreign, he's kind of giving props to Costco or McDonald's because they've got compliance. Mm-hmm. Well, what kind of, you know, what's the turnover rate at McDonald's? People are there for, for eight months because they want to get a paycheck for eight months so they can buy, you know, they can, they can it's an 18-year-old kid, it's a 16-year-old kid, got, got a car payment. Mm. That's why they're working at McDonald's. This isn't like they're getting told to do something like, yeah, cool, whatever. Mm. They're just trying to get, you know, $14 an hour or $13 an hour depending on what state you're in. This isn't what we're basing. We got professional firefighters that we want to take input from, that we want to build a relationship with. Yeah. You don't, how long does it take to replace a person at McDonald's? Zero minutes. Yeah. <laughs> you, you, okay, here's another 16 year old that's got a car payment. Cool, you're hired, <laughs> right? How long does it take to replace a firefighter? It takes a, long, it takes a while. Yeah. Even look, everyone. There's a lot of applicants that want to be firefighters, but you still got to bring them on. You got to pay them. You got to you got to train them. It takes a while. Mm-hmm. They're not just beating down the door. And you don't want to have a culture where every you, the reason people are following you because they're gonna because you're gonna write them up. No one ever listened to anything I said because I was gonna write them up. Zero people. Mm-hmm. I, I I think I wrote up like two people, and one of them was Leif because my boss, my my executive officer, told me to write them up. He's like, hey, you have to write them up. I was like, cool. I'm like, Leif here, I'm writing you up because this happened. And I go, in a week, we'll shred it or whatever. Like, you know what I mean? It's not a real right. So, so writing people up, if that's where we're at, we're doing something wrong. Yeah. We've got problems. The only two times I ever got written up was by bosses that I straight up didn't like. There you go. Shit. There you go. So let's lead. Punitive measures are generally not leadership. Do they have to be taken sometime? Yes. Generally not what we're looking to do. Yes. All right, next question. Hello, Jocko, Echo, hope, hope things are well. I've been trying to get hired as an FF paramedic. I've had five interviews and no offer. They all tell me I'm perfect for this line of work. I'm in great shape and I'm on the path. I'm 49. Could my age be a factor? How can I show or prove to them I can do the job? As I just said, Firefighter, there's all kinds of people trying to get hired as firefighters, right? That's all the time. Um, it's a good job. It's a good paying job. It's a secure job. It's a cool job, you know. Um, I mean, it's a hard job and all that for sure. But what is it? Pat Max's basic dude stuff, right? Mm-hmm. Have you seen his little Instagram thing? Yeah, basic yeah. dude stuff. Firefighters like basic dude stuff, right? Mm-hmm. Like, hey, I get to work out, I get to rescue people, mm-hmm. get to put out fi- fight fires, right? This is mm-hmm. basic dude stuff, we wanna do this. Mm-hmm. So a lot of people apply for it. You know, you don't need a college education, you can go and do this cool job, mm-hmm. uh, uh, a sacrificial job, it's, it's a heroic job, yes, right? Sir. Where you risk your, it's a cool job, we like it. Sexy too, by the way, the, you know, the firefighter that comes in as an entertainer, it's usually a firefighter is what I'm saying. Okay, you're. I'm unfamiliar with the <laughs> things that you're talking about now, but I just think what I'm trying to say, it's a good job. I don't know about the implications you're speaking, I, of, but I, that's fine. I, I agree with you. That's what I'm so saying. So a lot of people are trying to get hired. Could age be a, a factor? I think it could be for sure. 49 years old. Mm-hmm. If I'm looking to hire you and I could hire you, you're 49 and I can hire this 22 year old. So if I hire you at 49, how long are you going to be able to be a firefighter for? 10 years? Mm-hmm. We're 59. Even if you're a badass, you're 59, right? Now you're 60. So I'm gonna get 10, 11, 12 years out of you. Mm. And then 
maybe you start to become a little bit of a liability, right? Maybe even if you're not a liability, maybe you're a total stud, but you ain't getting to 70, right? You're not getting to 70 as a firefighter. I'm sure someone will prove me wrong. Most cases, you're not gonna get to 70 as a firefighter. Meanwhile, I got a 22-year-old over here. I hire this dude, I got 35 years out of him. We're gonna get 35 years out of this character over here. So could it be a factor? Absolutely, it could be. And I think that that's, I don't know if that's legal, right? Because that could be like illegal ageism and all that, I'm not sure. I don't know what the particular rules are. Um, So I, I think what I would do in this situation is keep like get in continue getting more awesome shape continue to have an awesome attitude i would volunteer right i would volunteer to become a volunteer firefighter I'd become a volunteer emt i would go down there i'd work get to know people build relationships as you build relationship people will be like you know what this dude even if we only have him for 15 years it's gonna be worth it because he's awesome mm. i would do that i would actually ask him hey is my age an impact here and if so what about it is it that is is preventive pre- preventative or preventing me from getting the job, that they might also not tell the truth there because they don't want to say, well, it's because you're old, because then you go ageism. Yeah, yeah. And now we sue the city, yeah. right? Mm-hmm. Uh, keep performing well, get in really good shape, volunteer, help out, build relationships, and have a plan B. Because I don't know even know what the age limitations. I mean, I have guys sometimes who are like, oh, I'm 35 years old, I'm gonna quit my job and become a SEAL. I'm like, I don't think that's even possible. Like, they don't think they give you a waiver at 35. Drago was 33. I don't think they give a waiver beyond that. And he made it through because he's a freaking mutant. <laughs> yes. So, yeah, to me, it's, um, it's I, would, I would have a plan B in case. Mm-hmm. Like, figure out something cool to do. You know, there's always the weird, uh, I don't know where this dude's at, if he's on the West Coast. Like, the West Coast, they once the fire season hits in the summer and fall, like, they need firefighters. Yeah. They need they need fire, firefighters yeah. to go up and, and hike around the mountains and put out fires. They, they need those guys. So maybe you become a seasonal for a while. That's what I would do, but I would also have a plan B. You know, the, the things, what other job would, would be cool? Let's find another job that would be cool. There's a lot of them. Mm-hmm. Next question. I'm an emergency. I'm in. I'm an emergency medicine and private practice physician in South Carolina. This morning, I read about the USC student health physician who is being charged with hundreds of counts of inappropriate and criminal conduct conduct in examining women. Over the past decade, there have been big public cases like this every few years. The scale of the cases is always shocking. I'm certain that for every public case, at least. A few are never caught or never become public knowledge. In every case I've read about, colleagues and victims knew something was wrong for a long time before any action was eventually taken against the perpetrator. What can we do in the future to stop these people before hundreds are victimized? Um, I think one of the first things we could do is, and this was a, a good question because it made me sit down and think, okay, what, what, what could we do? What could we do here? The first thing I thought about was education of girls and women of this stuff happens. This is, this is what you should do. If it happens, it's not right. It's people are going to try, you know, the perpetrator will try and get you to be quiet. They're going to say these things to you. I think when we had Iris Gardner on podcast 70, so many people listened to that podcast and decided, you know, Hey, 
I'm going to talk to my daughters. I'm going to I'm going to explain things to them, and that is incredibly helpful. And and Iris has told me that she got that same feedback as well. So I think education and and bringing it into the light. Right, the perpetrators just want to keep it you know keep it shameful and keep it in the dark, mm-hmm. and that's what they're looking to do. So that was the first thing I thought of was education of girls and women. And I guess, you know, boys and men too. But primarily, this is a question about uh, female examinations. So education of girls and women. The, the other thing I thought, and I'm actually surprised this doesn't happen, two-person integrity. So if there's an examination going on, you should have a second person in there. Yeah. So you should have a nurse in there. That would probably end... M- a vast majority of cases, right? Oh, there's a nurse standing here that's watching? This doctor's not gonna do anything wrong most of the time. So I don't know why that doesn't exist. I guess it's probably just a manpower thing. Um, But something like that, it seems to be smart. Two-person integrity, that little phrase rolls off my tongue easily because back back in the day, we used to have cryptologic gear Mm. And the safes actually had two combinations on them. Mm. And for us to get in the safe, I had to put in my combination and you had to put in your combination. Two-person integrity. Mm. You ever seen like the movies where they're about to launch a nuclear missile? Yeah, man. And one guy has to turn a key and so does the other three, two, one, turn. We both have to agree that we're doing this. Terminator 2. Two-person integrity. When they broke into, they didn't break in. Sorry, when they were in the Cyberdyne uh, office, facilities. lab facilities, mm-hmm. you know, my uh, Dyson, my birthplace. Hell yeah. <laughs> <laughs> He's like, there's a security guard there, and then there's like Miles Bennett Dyson rolling in to go check on the thing, mm-hmm. and you know, they, yeah, they got to do the the double. What do you call it? Double integrity. Two person. Two, two person integrity. Yeah, I dig it. So I think that would be a very good way to stop this stuff from happening. I thought of another one. Anonymous screening upon departure. So, you know, a little keypad in the corner and it asks you a couple questions, three or four questions. Did anything uncomfortable happen? You know, what? who is your doctor? Boom. Did anything uncomfortable happen? Was there anything that was awkward or anything like that? And it's anonymous. So that way, there's a report that somebody sees and goes, wait a second, freaking Dr. Smith just got another bad report. Mm-hmm. We, need to, we need to go see what's going on. We need to investigate. Yeah. So I think they rely on shame and I think that removes the shame aspect of it because now I'm, I'm leaving and I get a, you know, whatever, on the, on a, a little screen on the way out and I can put in there, hey, this is what happened. This doctor did this. I, I know this was wrong please investigate him, right? I mean, I think that would help too. Are you gonna get some false claims? Yes. Are you gonna get bad things happening? Yes. But what it does is it gives, look, if it's a false claim and people investigate, okay, well, we find out. Now we we have to give this doctor two-person integrity for a while. And doesn't happen anymore. Then we pull him off two-person integrity and all of a sudden we start getting those bad things again. We know we got an actual problem. Hmm. So I think that that would be worth it. I think it would be pretty simple to do these days. Um, so those are my ideas. Again, that's kind of off the top of my head. I think education is important. I think two-person integrity is a really good idea, and I think some kind of anonymous screening mm-hmm. would make people make people more apt to say something, mm-hmm. and that would give the indication that there was a problem. 
Damn. So horrible thing. If you haven't listened to podcast uh, 70 with Iris Gardner, it's very, it's, it's, it's horrible to listen and listen to, and it's extremely enlightening and she gives just incredible advice. So check that one out. Yeah. That's a, I actually know someone, a friend in college who was girl was a victim of this, like to the worst degree too. It was bad because the doctor in his case, I'm, I don't know how this happens mm-hmm. as far as how this gets rolled out or whatever. But um, like, you know, he in his case, he used tr- kind of trust in a way and mm-hmm. that power dynamic. Like I'm the doctor, you're the patient kind mm-hmm. of the thing. And he subtly like would increase his inappropriateness. But as the patient, you know, young, just out of high school girl is like, she didn't know. Like, what are you going to do? Hey, that's inappropriate. It's like it's hard to do that in this case, you know. Yeah, and especially because he's kind of pushing the envelope a little bit. It's like boiling the frog. Yeah, you know, yes. a little bit at a time. Oh yeah. So and she was like, "Wait, what just happened?" And then it's like, "Oh, well, I guess it's not that. I guess that was okay, you know." And then all of a sudden, the boundaries get stretched. Yep. And he scumbags. Oh yeah, and he took it all away and totally raped her. And then at that point when that happened in the moment she was so scared which from what i hear is like a common where she's like so scared so she can't really say nothing or whatever afterwards of course she tells everybody like this you know i was worried for a while and whatever this happened and of course the dad wants to straight up kill him like yes. murder him like for he sure. had the plan he was ready to go and murder mm-hmm. this guy or whatever and then even she said well you know sure he'd be dead but like you'd be gone too and all this i had to talk her dad out of murdering the, the doctor mm-hmm. i don't know what happened after that or whatever with the case, but. Well, let's hope that good old fashioned prison justice is what happened. And that dude got raped and killed himself in Mm. prison. That's my hopes. I understand. And with that positive thought, thank you for joining us and supporting the cause on the underground. You know why we're here. Well, one reason why we're here, I don't know if you saw this, we have um, the the podcast that we just did about the Armenian genocide mm-hmm. has a flag on it on YouTube yeah. with, uh, what is it? Additional information, something like this. Yeah. Yep. Well, it's very interesting. So that's why we're doing this. At some point, does somebody say, hey, you, you cross the line, you're not allowed to talk about that. Yeah. That's why we're doing this, so we appreciate all the support. And as always, you can get supplements from jockofuel.com. You can get all kinds of gear, jiu-jitsu gear. We talked about jiu-jitsu today from originusa.com. Jocklestore.com, got a bunch of cool stuff on there. And, well, you know the books. New book coming out November, November 16th. I'm going to start posting some little uh, pictures of that. Final spin? Yeah, I'm going to start posting some lines. lines. (laughs) And I also have a leadership consulting company. If you're interested, go to echelonfront.com. And on the interwebs, if you don't know this yet, Echo is at Echo Charles. I am at Jocko Willink. And thank you for joining us once again in the place where there is no light, the underground. And until next time, this is Echo and Jocko. Out. <laughs>